What do you do under pressure? And how do you respond when you are looked down on for faith or feel the pressure mounting? As we continue in our mini-series on Psalm 119, Pastor Craig shares insights on how we can choose a response to pressure from a deep connection to God and His Word. Let's join Sojourn now. Those that are relatively new, I think you picked up that we are spending three weeks of prayer and fasting. You can fast as many days as you like, but we particularly urge you to fast uh, one to three meals on Wednesday, and we will come together online and pray. It's a little different, but uh, it was great this last week, two more Wednesdays like that, and uh, very encouraging to pray together. A few technical difficulties, a couple of you we couldn't hear, so we'll try to work on that. We're learning how to use Zoom, but uh, it was great to pray together. And so, as I said, this morning we'll look at uh, one last message on prayer. But just to give you an idea where we're going with the rest of the semester here, uh, then next week on Sunday morning we're going to begin exploring for really probably through the spring and summer, winter, spring, and summer, what the... Uh, Jews call the former prophets, we sometimes call the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. We'll really be looking at, you know, they were establishing the kingdom and experiencing challenges in the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at that and relate that to today and how we understand those things. If you want to start reading the book of Joshua this week, you'll be uh, ready for next Sunday when we look at Joshua chapter 1 and really understand some foundational kingdom principles. So be ready for that. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 119 one last time. There is prayer, and then there is prayer, right? So let's see if I, yes, I've got a roving mic here. I'm going to need this mic and this mic. We'll try to be uh, COVID conscious here. But uh, so let me ask you a question. <clears throat> when do you really pray? All right, who's got an answer to that? When do you, re- I mean, like, when, what gets you really praying? Under pressure. Pressure. I see it up there. Under pressure. Wow, what a brilliant idea, Lee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone have a specific for me? We're too shy for a mic today. Say it loud. Unsaved family members. Okay, unsaved family members, certainly, right? Yeah. Someone else, yeah. Uh, Before I say things, or oftentimes after I say things I might not mean. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Those words that, that... the abundance of the heart was not quite the abundance you wanted that came out. Yeah, right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Abundance of frustration sometimes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Ron. When a loved one or a family member is uh, in trouble or hurt or something. Yeah. Not just unsaved, but in hurt and troubled. Yeah. 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 Oh, we got some. Yeah. During the unknown, not knowing what's going on during the unknown, praying, ask a lot. You like to have control on? of things, right? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Right. I know. Right. And then we pray. Yeah. Mike, did you have one? When you have a longing that's beyond your ability to fulfill. Okay, I, I'm going to stop with that one. I mean, unless there's a lot more. I like that one a lot. We're going to talk about that. In fact, we're going to try to get our longings aligned today. All right? But let's uh, set this down safely. All right? So, yeah. The, when do you call out with all your heart? We're going to look at Psalm 119. You can start looking for verse 145. Uh, kuf, or if you know Hebrew, but uh, um, as we get desperate, our prayers get earnest. Or as some of you said, when we feel vulnerable, boy, then we pray harder, right? So Psalm 119, 
the last several stanzas, if you read the whole psalm, it's a big psalm, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but if you read the last several stanzas, something you might not have known if you got stuck like halfway through it many times, is as you get toward the end, the desperation actually increases in the psalm. And if you read carefully the psalm, you can actually piece together the situation that the psalmist is facing a little bit. I'll give you a few highlights here. It is apparently in the psalmist's life, the people around him, it's a time of skepticism. There are people that, verse 126, people that nullify God's instruction. Verse 113, there's kind of noncommittal, double-minded people. Uh, verse 95, there's even some people that lie in wait to destroy him. Ooh, right? It's a, that's a desperate time, actively being persecuted. As a result, the psalmist says, I feel slandered. Verse 69, and there's even plots against him in verses 23 and 25. And so the deviousness of the plots gives us the feeling that Israel's still nominally religious. They're still trying to put up a front, but they're kind of behind the scenes, right? They're intrigues against the true believers. And uh, so it's subtle, but his life is in danger. And the other thing we learn in verse 39 is he's on the young side and still vulnerable to feeling scorn. And in isolation, verse 141, he gets kind of depressed. And at other times, he he's weeps, 136, or sometimes he's just mad, verse 53, right? So he's a range of emotion, very frustrating. So again, skepticism, slander against the true believer, and a bit of a vulnerability. Uh, sounds a little like us, except probably we're mostly not in physical danger. All right, so then that's one piece. One more background piece, hang in there, okay, before the main sermon. Look at the last two verses of the psalm, and you'll get his theological foundation. I love this. So read, the last two verses say this, um, verse 175, let me live that I may praise you, right? His purpose is praise, and may your laws sustain me. God's instruction is his sustenance. And then he says, I've strayed like a lost sheep. Seek out your servant. I've not forgot your commands. In other words, he knows grace. He knows that he needs God to seek him out. Right? So notice there's three theological foundations here. His purpose is praise. In other words, as we said earlier, and I have this, you can look at it, already written in my notes, right? Romans 12:1 that we were made to worship God with all of our lives. The psalmist understands that. His purpose is praise, right? God's word is his sustaining foundation, right? Not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But then especially that last verse, seek out your servant. He understands that ultimately grace is always previous, that even though he's a God-fearer, he's memorizing God's word, he's, he's seeking, but he says, I need you, Lord, to seek me out. He understands the need for God's initiative in his life. So praise is his purpose. God's instruction is his foundation. God's grace is what established, in other words, we call it around here grace-filled identity is how Sojourn talks about that, that it has to be our foundation. So this is a little bit of an extra theological piece here, but I wanted to give it to you. Uh, first of all, so you understand the, the theological convictions of the psalmist in Psalm 119. 
So the two background pieces we have here that we're putting together before we dive in is that he's under pressure as a believer, but he's not a neophyte. He might be young, but he's not new. He gets it, right? He understands the life of worship. He understands the word of God as a foundation. He knows he needs the mercy of God. So he's got a good foundation, but there's trouble. Trouble plus solid believer equals prayer. Right? That's what we see here. But why? Why does he pray under pressure? Now let's read our verses for this morning. Start in verse 145. This is the the coof you'll see in your headline probably there. Let's read it, those eight verses. I call with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, and I'll obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I'll keep your statutes. I rise before dawn. When I cry for help, I put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they're far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Lord, we ask you to add your blessing to your word that we'd understand and see, certainly intellectually, but more that we'd be formed in our convictions around your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pray under pressure, but why do we pray under pressure? Several reasons were given to pray under pressure. The first reason we pray under pressure is because God is our rescue. Look at verse 145 again. I call with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, and I'll obey your decrees. I call to you, save me, and I'll keep your statutes. He calls out with all his heart because he needs God. He recognizes God is the only one who can save him. See that grace nuance again? It's the same thing we saw in the very last verse, right? He calls out because God is his salvation. God is the one who saves him. Our response to God's sovereign power is humble dependence. We're dependent on his grace. See, what's interesting, challenging situations, difficulty is actually an act of God's grace because it makes us aware of what is always true. We are always utterly dependent on God's grace, right? What if he decided to not sustain the universe this morning? It's done, right? I mean, we're, the whole universe is sustained by God's grace, right? That's it. everything in our spiritual lives. Every positive you know, inclination we have is the work of grace in our heart. But when we have a little bit of a crisis, suddenly what's always true, oh, that's right, you know, I need God, right? So, all right, so then we're aware of that. And trouble makes obvious what's always true. And, and notice, I just want to clarify He's not manipulating God here. You know, answer me and then I'll obey your decree. It's not like, if you do this, I'll do that. That's not what he's saying, right? Answer me. He's saying it's a life of discipleship. I'm committed to your decrees, right? 
I'll continue. I'm committed to a life of discipleship. Save me from death and I'll continue in this path. In other words, this is not just an emergency prayer. I will continue. This is my commitment. I'm not just going to pray and then, oh, good, I'm answered now. You know, I'm done praying. No, that's not where he's at. So how about us? Prayer reminds us of our need, our weakness, and what we cannot change, and that's good. As basic as this is, I want us to really lock in, especially in these days. God is our deliverer, our salvation, our healer. No human being, no political system. I like our system, but no, no, none of that can save us. Right? God, the believer must remember, God is our savior, our deliverer, our rescue. And that's why we pray. Because he can do what no one else can do. In fact, that's how the rule of God moves forward. Something's happening, and God knew it all along, but finally we're like, oh, yeah, you know, things aren't the way they should be. And we pray, joining in with the heart of God, and something is answered, and we're like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to do this all the time. <laughs> right? Get God's heart and pray, and pretty soon we're realizing we are co-laborers with the Lord in prayer. It's where he's bringing us, okay? So the first thing we want to see this morning, very simple, that we pray under pressure because God is our rescue. He's our only Savior. But there's another reason we pray under pressure, and this is the one I really want us to drop in our soul this morning. We pray under pressure because God is our hope. Verses 147 and 148, um, I had a little time and I, I, I played around with translating them. And I noticed something you would not notice in most of the translations, and that is that the verb in verses 147 and 148 are identical, and that's not an accident. So let me, and actually the words used about night are, are synonyms. So let me just throw at you what this would sound like to the original author, okay? I anticipate twilight when I call for help. I put my hope in your word. My eyes anticipate the night watches to meditate on your word. I'll read that a couple more times. But do you catch the parallelism? I anticipate twilight when I cry for help. It's about to get dark. I anticipate twilight when I cry for help. I put my hope or wait for your word, and then my eyes anticipate the night watches to meditate on your word. In other words, unlike our society, because we've got electric lights, when it got dark, things slowed down, and he says, hallelujah, because <laughs> that's when I have a chance to slow down and think about your word. Oh my gosh, I don't know what the application is for us. <laughs> I suppose when it gets dark, just try maybe for an hour unplug and turn off your light and think about the Bible. I'm, you know, I don't, how can we even unplug? I don't know, you know. But it is one of the most powerful things. It's one of the most important spiritual disciplines 
in a culture of noise is silence and solitude. And I say it's a spiritual discipline. I'm not using religious language. It's a discipline, isn't it? Can somebody say amen? It's a discipline. I have 10 kids, eight of them at home. It's a discipline to get quiet. It takes major operation, actually, to get <laughs> usually by three in the morning. Okay, so anyway, uh, yeah, it just, you know, and not just physical silence, but silence of soul. Right? So he cries out specifically because his hope is in God's word. And verse 148, he's meditating on this hope through the watches of the night. Hope. Now, this word for hope, and this is actually true of more than one word for hope in, in Hebrew, it means to wait for. So in other words, the, the, there's three theological virtues, right? Faith, hope, and love, right? Okay. The three theological virtues. <clears throat> and hope implies waiting. It implies something I do before I get what I want, right? So here is what's so important this morning that I really want you to contemplate. What we hope for shapes our present and future. Now think about that carefully. What I hope for shapes my present and my future, right? So he's hoping in God's word in fact, let's say this together. What I hope for shapes my life. What I hope for shapes my life. Let's try it. What I hope for shapes my life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's think about this. He's hoping in God's word, God's rule and ways on the earth, and then he's meditating on it. Now we're going to come back to hope, but let's go back to the idea of meditation and then we'll add it. People often renew their spiritual disciplines in the Bible in January, and that's good. And I'm all for reading through, and I think uh, some of my kids are reading you know, several chapters a day, and they get through the Bible. It's good. But let me, the Bible talks about meditation on Scripture. So meditation, memorizing, deeply reflecting. I can't remember who said this. It's a great quote. It wasn't mine. The issue is not how many verses you master, but how many verses master you, right? It's not how many verses you master, it's how many verses master you. In other words, they are so part of your soul that they form you. All right, now we're going to go back to hope and add that idea. Here's where we find insight is that my hope, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then I start thinking about that and I say, what does that say to relationship? How does that guide career choices? Meditation on scripture is where the rational, what does it mean, and the imaginative, what could this look like, meet. Right? The rational, what does this mean, and the imaginative, what could this look like in the future, they meet in meditation. And this is where, be very careful, you'll wind up taking steps of faith that you never imagined you would take. Right? I remember in, in, in younger years often envisioning what would be like if I tried this kind of activity. And I would imagine it be long before I did it. Right? Reflecting. I mean, a positive, you know, a step for the kingdom of God. 
and it begins to capture your heart. One year, I encouraged daily silence, and one of our uh, elders at the time said, I thought, I'm going to take my commute, and I'm going to shut off all the music. We got an extra worship song out of that. Some of you remember Bob Burby. We got Jesus, the healer of our scars, out of him just kind of meditating on Scripture on the way to work. And uh, creativity came out of it. What is your hope? What we fill ourselves with shapes us. So it's easy to have lower hopes that aren't bad. Good hopes, they're not bad, but they're lower. So, you know, you might hope for a new car that runs, right? That's not bad. Better pay, that's okay. Good health, a nice life. That's not a bad hope, right? But what pulls us higher? To fix our eyes on the ultimate hope, which is the triumph of God's rule. And as we fix our eyes on that hope, then we'll invest in people, as Belinda illustrated. Then we'll pour out for those in need when it's not convenient. Then we will fight the evil within us and around us. It's the hope of the kingdom. So the urge here is, the the exhortation is, don't set your heart on small things. Pray into the final manifestation of God's kingdom. Pray for what you want to see in heaven today. Pray for the things you want true for eternity today. And that will mold your longings, that will shape your life. What you're hoping for, well then just naturally your life will align behind that hope. You're like, I've been giving myself to even maybe sinful hopes. Okay, well turn from that, but don't just turn from that Fix whatever that distorted sin is. Fix the desire on the appropriate fulfillment of that desire and begin to hope in that and let it shape and mold you in a kingdom direction for how God designed that to be fulfilled. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done. I'm not suggesting pray that in a rote sense, but pray it every day. And if you pray it deeply, you might be praying for an hour, right? Lord, may your, may your rule come in my life. May your righteousness, peace, and joy rest in my daughter Nicole, right? You know, and pray through your family and pray through your friends and pray through the ministries. And Lord, rule in us the way that you intend, O oh God. Release the rule of God. And as your kingdom vision, as you're praying that daily, and as your kingdom vision is on that, then you begin to have these crazy ideas you never dreamed you'd try. And God blesses it because it's his kingdom. Amen, yeah. So the second reason we pray under pressure is because God's our hope. The final reason we pray under pressure is God's our trust. So let's read the last four verses again, get them back in mind. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Now there's a dynamic here. You know, some have uh, made harsh comments about Psalm 119. And, oh, he's just, you know, all about the word. But what about, you know, 
relationship and, you know, maybe Jewish legalism and all this stuff, right? So later Psalm, people are concerned that it's heading toward where the Pharisees are at. But you'll notice the Psalm doesn't do that. He talks about the word, but he always talks about relationship with God as well. In fact, the two poles of the Psalm go back and every verse revolves back and forth between the revealed Torah, the permanent things, but then he's always back to active faith and hope that God will intervene in light of his permanent established word, right? That's so crucial to see. It's our life that we know what to build on, right? And that we know what to do. What of all the things I should hope for, what should I hope for? What should I give my life to? The word of God tells us. That's how we know how to invest our lives in ways that will matter for eternity. And so, uh, verse 149, he trusts God's covenant love, so he knows that God will preserve him, right? And then everything's in accord with God's word in all of these several verses here, right? But he makes an interesting observation. The wicked, he says, those who divide wicked schemes, they're near him, but they're far from your law. It's like they're not going to succeed. It's not going to happen because uh, they're, far from, they're, they're far from the permanent things that will last, right? So the psalmist's hope and faith is that God will intervene. It will happen. This faith that God would somehow show up developed through the time of the Old Testament into a faith that God would send some kind of Messiah to save them. And of course, that Messiah came, Jesus Christ. And then in the New Testament, he came not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. And the New Testament authors correctly recognize that all of those hopes for God's deliverance then are put into the second coming of Christ, right? God is bringing the kingdom, and therefore we trust and pray why we know that God will right every wrong. He will heal every wound. He will transform every single person who is willing to be transformed. He does all things well. That is why we pray. And so we pray. At times it feels impossible, but we're like, Lord, every person who gives you permission to move in their life, you will do it. We know it. You can do the impossible. We've seen it in this church. People with apparently impossible desires and tangles and God delivering and bringing freedom and grace. And so for us, faith that God is good underlies every prayer. And this is so crucial. And for many, the recent events have really kind of shaken their faith in the system. I want to say gently, we should have never had faith in the system. I think it's good to be involved, but you know. But it reminds us where our faith belongs. In the God who delivers. In the God who uses every circumstance to build his kingdom, who is never taken by surprise but who has orchestrates all things to bring as many as possible into his kingdom. So our hope is our vision of the kingdom and our faith 
that God is bringing the kingdom fuels our prayers. Let me say that again. Our hope, having a clear picture of the rule of God and how God rules in individuals, but through his church, through the prayers of his church, as we see that vision, we'll know how to build our lives and our faith that God will do that. And he's building that fuels our prayer. And then we participate in the building of the kingdom through prayer and then activity as God leads us. So our previous point about the hope of the kingdom is crucial, and then that fuels our faith. And by the way, if you want to add the last theological virtue, it also directs our love, so that faith, hope, and love always work together. The crucial nature for the church is to have that rooted in the kingdom of God. I'm one that needs this a lot. I especially need hope. Uh, Not because I, well, my, my problem is just daily life. Okay, so I love my life, but it's like really packed. Okay, there's just a lot going on. And, you know, you can pick the day and there's all kinds of things going on. And so I can just get focused on Kruger needs and, you know, this kind of thing. For me, the hope of the kingdom, you know, I'm focused on things here. Now, they're not bad things, right? People are important and and that's the focus of the kingdom, right? But it just kind of goes, you know? Kruger's sojourn, but then it's like, wait a minute, I love all you guys, but is that the final vision of the kingdom? No, it's not. What's the final vision of the kingdom? All those people outside of here. So maybe you're like me, and it's like, Lord, lift up my eyes. Take in a testimony like Belinda's, and we're not all going to be Belinda in terms of uh, amount of travel other than COVID. (laughs) But we can all have a vision for, Lord, how can I see the moving of your kingdom in my life? Not just in my family, not just in my church, but to bring that kingdom farther, to bring that the rule of God. Hallelujah. See, what does that is not me yelling at you or you beating yourself up. What that does, what does that is the hope of the kingdom of God, which is this, that God's doing it anyway. He's building this kingdom. If you want, you can be a part of it. Okay? He's not stopping to wait if you get behind, but he'll help you catch up. Right? And so our faith, our prayers, our motives, really, God's doing this anyway. I can be a part. And my experience is that all the fun is being part. Yeah. So ultimately, our prayers reach beyond survival to pray in the kingdom. So the final reason we pray under pressure is because God is our trust. So the psalmist, like us, is a believer under pressure, out of step with the cultural flow, and his trust in God led to the pressure. So how do we pray under pressure? We pray, or why do we pray under pressure? Because God's our rescue. He's the only place to go. We pray because God's our hope, and we're longing for the kingdom that he is bringing, and he is our trust so that we trust his word in how to build his kingdom. So in these weeks, as we're devoting ourselves to prayer, be refreshed in God. If there's temptations, and there are, God will rescue you. Jesus will rescue you. You know, you might want to receive prayer this morning. There's temptations that are really tormenting you. 
receive prayer this morning. You can come up here, you can grab your friend, whatever you want to do, but get some prayer. Why? Because God answers prayer. If there's a little discouragement or you're just flat, receive the hope of the kingdom of God this morning. God's building his church. He's building his kingdom. Maybe you're in motion and there's a roadblock. Let's ask God to move mountains. He promised he would. Stand with me. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes a moment. Relax. And uh, I'm going to ask you mentally in your, just pray in your head. You can be out loud if you want, but pray in your head. Say, Lord, open my awareness of you right now. And then say, Lord, give me your hope and your faith for what you want to do in my life. Just hold that in your soul. I want to pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray as you are clarifying in individual souls the hopes of the kingdom you've planted in them. And some might be like, I don't hear anything. I don't sense anything. But Lord, just press in. Help them to begin to understand the hope of the kingdom of God in a general sense, but also what that means in their life, in each individual, he or she. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to open my eyes. You say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. I need to surrender my life. Okay. Yeah. Hallelujah. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be just pouring out your spirit and clarifying what to put our hope in, what to trust. Hallelujah. Just as we wait a moment before the Lord, is there any prophetic or scriptural movement right now that someone's got something? Yeah. As uh, Craig was sharing, when he came across that part about God being good to us, I was just hit with the passage in, in Hebrews about how he's shaking everything that can be shaken and how a con confusion can hit us because it seems like the whole world is falling apart and God aren't you in control and he I feel his exhortation towards us is the very basis of faith is to know that I have a good heart yeah. and to know that what I'm doing right now might not make sense to anyone but it's for your good and in the midst of the shaking, he wants us to come to him on that very basis. And from that place, we can understand how the things that remain will stay in us. So I, I just want to pray, I guess. Yeah. So, Father, we just ask for revelation of that goodness to resonate in our hearts. Let that 
first motion towards you begin from a place of confidence that you have a good heart. You are good and your mercy endures forever. When we see the things and the chaos going on in the world, let's turn to you in faith. Let that resonate in us. Holy Spirit, our helper, help us. Help us trust in our good Father. In Jesus' name. Oh, and another thing, the, the confidence that we have that his heart is good is we look back at him giving Jesus. Even though Jesus, giving his only son is the root of God's good heart towards us, that we know that in going through suffering or going through hard times, God has a good heart. Amen. We know a little more than the psalmist, don't we? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, so we're going to um, open up for anyone that wants prayer, come up or grab a friend. We'll dismiss right now. Um, yeah, we'll just say out of 2 Corinthians again, may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest over your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. And